in the words of the legendary Lou Gellerman, hello, dog fans, and welcome to the Sound the Siren podcast, because everything matters. We're back again for a second episode this weekend covering the women's basketball coaching search. Um, so I am joined this evening uh, by Leah, uh, UW, our, our Twitter Zoom celebrity, um, dog process, J-Cap's just kind of hanging out in the background. He may chime in, he may not. Uh, but DP is going to moderate the discussion this evening. Uh, DP, so take it away. Yeah, moder- moderator DP here. Uh, so who again send me the send me the topics that we'll be working over tonight. Um, so first off, uh, Jody Wynn got fired. Uh, thoughts, reactions, hot takes, applause. Um, hallelujah, praise Jesus, and ever, and and Emmy and all Jesus. deities that had one hundred percent. I started getting, I was shopping, and I started getting texts and DMs and saying, I need your comment about this. This is crazy. And I finally checked Twitter and I literally started screaming in my car, like, let's go. This is freaking awesome. Best day of the month, at least at that time. And immediately hopped on with Hooligan. I was just like bouncing around ideas. And this was just, it was an amazing day. It was a great day for UW because she did not deserve the job anymore. And I was just super fired up. super pumped i uh, i had kind of was off the yeah that jody win could could get this turned around after about year two um so it was definitely a day of jubilee uh, and uh, okay let's not, like hey maybe we're actually serious about getting this program back to being where it should be um my standard and this is for basically every program at the university of that we should not consistently be in the upper quartile of the conference, uh, in specific the women's basketball with the in-state talent, the things that we talked about in the previous episode covering the hoops program. Consistently be right competing for the conference championship year in year out. Um, yeah, there's just no excuse for it, and for her to be as bad as she was for as long as she was, um, let alone all the other things that have come out since and. Yeah, it's it's a good day that Jody Wynn's no longer associated with our program for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. For for those of you who don't know, um, Hooligan is blocked currently by the <laughs> UW women's basketball on Twitter uh, for <laughs> tweeting about uh, Jody Wynn. So uh, I guess for Hooligan, not only was it a great day because it was an improvement in the state of program, it was a great day because it was vindication. Hashtag and, free and I was blocked not for <laughs> not for yeah not for saying anything inappropriate. I was blocked because I pointed out things that were absolutely factually true, and that she was statistically the worst women's basketball coach in UW history. And I accidentally responded to something on Twitter that included the the UW basketball account. I, I, I'm sorry, I I, I got a degree from the University of Washington. You guys that. That were at least confirmed that I actually, you know, understand math. Yeah, at UW underscore women's basketball on Twitter. If you guys are listening, please unblock Hooligan. He's a big fan. Um, his his input's very valuable to the program. Um, I care. We know I the football staff listens to the, the podcast. To yeah, exactly, exactly. So if, if the women's basketball the, staff, someone from the women's basketball staff has to be listening. So exactly, right? Unblock my boy, sure. please. Speaking of the women's basketball staff, 
there is now an opening for the UW women's coach because yeah. Jody Wynn got fired. Um, so dream hires list, uh, pros and cons. What do you guys yeah. got? So kind of we started off at our last episode as um, Lisa Fortier out of Gonzaga was kind of our, our A1, D1. Like she is someone that goes to the tournament every year. When she plays back 12 teams, she's very competitive. And that was our number one choice because she was based out of the Northwest. Clearly she likes the Northwest. She doesn't want to stay. She's not gunning for another job outside of the area, which we've been burned by with both McGuff and with neighbors. Um, and, you know, it's the old adage of like, you, you also get better by depleting one of your rivals. So kind of a twofer deal with that. So that was kind of our, our first choice. And then second choice would have probably been Mark Campbell. And he is the associate head coach at the University of Oregon. He is a very well liked and respected recruiter nationally, as well as within the Pac-12. Um, he is a native of uh, the Northwest. I think he grew up in Linden. He had his high school in Mount Vernon. His wife is from Vancouver, Washington. He's a Northwest guy. And we have every reason to believe that that's, this is kind of like the area of the country that he wants to stay. And so if we hired him, he wasn't going to leave. And so those were kind of our top two. And we had a couple of more people emerge as the days kind of went on. Who are going to let you talk about that? So one of the, the first kind of rumblings that I heard from a, a number of different places uh, as I scoured the internet um, and, and talked to people that I've, uh, you know, that I've known um, was Tina Langley down at Rice. She's been pretty successful. She's won 20 games every year there. She'd been the associate head coach at uh, Maryland under Brenda Freeze um, when they had some really historic runs of uh, historic run of success. Oh, but, um, um, but, uh, you know, pretty successful coach is well thought of in the Texas high school uh, coaching community of like of the coaches that she corresponds with as she's recruiting that I had when Langley was rumored to be a leading candidate for our job is that she's a, like, she's a graduate of the University of North Alabama, hasn't spent any time in a West Coast program, has no apparent ties to the West at all. Um, and, and as time has worn on, um, I know that there, there, I've seen it reported in a number of places online that are, that are publicly available that she's probably the leading candidate. Um, initially, it was looking like she might be the leading candidate for the, the Oklahoma job, considering she's down at Rice in Texas. Um, what I am seeing lately is that she's probably going to land the Auburn job, uh, heading back to her home state. Um, so she's been kind of removed from consideration there. There were some rumblings that a Shorecrest native who's been the coach at Rice for a long time and took Peter off to care of her mother, Sue Semrau, uh, was interviewing for the position. Uh, she announced publicly, I think, who was returning to her team for, uh, at Florida State uh, and back over from Wyckoff, who had been her interim coach. Uh, so Sue so, so Semrau was out of consideration. So in, in some ways, the, the shirt kind of went back to square one. Um, I think the only other, uh, you know, kind of in terms of if, if you were looking at, at some rising stars, that was kind of on an aspirational list for us as a current. Go ahead, you pick. 
Uh, yeah, so you, you were talking about some rumors that have kind of come up, and you also mentioned West Coast ties, which is a thing I want to touch on, um, because uh, we, we touched on this in the men's basketball podcast too, but just the importance of recruiting the state of Washington when it comes to basketball talent. Um, I, I, I think you guys complained about this on the last pod, but Haley Van Lith going to, to Louisville when you have a five-star talent in your backyard and, and you let her go across the country uh, kind of speaks volumes of your program. Obviously, we can say the same thing for uh, UW football, but that, that's, that's the kind of miss that can't happen. Um, and the, the city of Seattle is a hotbed for basketball talent when it comes um, men's and women's basketball, there's talent in the city and it has to be recruited properly, which is the importance of kind of those West coast ties. Um, so when it comes to kind of the rumor hotbed or the rumor hot mill, I think is the right word for it. So I don't have a great vocabulary over here. Um, what, what are you guys hearing when it comes to kind of those candidates? Are they focusing on like West coast ties or is it just for like whoever's the best? Yeah. I mean, like what I've heard through the rumor bell lately is that we're kind of where we definitely interviewed Mark Campbell for a second time for this position. And um, he's, again, still at the University of Oregon. He is the associate head coach and has been since 2014 and has led Oregon to unprecedented levels of success in addition to the fact that he recruited um, Sabrina Ionescu, Ruthie Hebert, Satu Sabali, who all went first round in the WNBA draft last year. Um, this year's freshman class was number one in the country and it has five different kids on roster who are all McDonald's All-Americans and each McDonald's State Players of the Year or Gatorade State Players of the Year in their respective states. So this is a guy who not only can recruit locally, he can recruit internationally and around the country. Um, and so there was a rumor, there was a credible rumor that I've heard from not only um, our inner circles, but from reputable sources around the conference that the athletic department um, really wanted to hire a female coach. And if that's true, that's disappointing because there are a lot of people who we should should and can consider who aren't necessarily female. And it's if this is true, and we don't know if it's true or not, but if it is true, then it, then it would seem, it would appear that the University of Washington is more interested in making a political hire than in making a basketball hire. And so Mark Campbell was officially eliminated from the candidate pool. And um, to our knowledge from rumors, um, we have a couple of things, people still in like rumored to be in the pool. Um, we don't know for sure, but we're just, we're hearing whispers about things and um, they're dead. They definitely have West Coast ties, but when you compare how they recruit to someone we know is a great recruiter like Mark Campbell, you're kind of like, and who was had a hand in building. Why was he passed over? He helped Scott Rook build Oregon State when Graves got that's the correct. move, when, I mean, when Graves I mean, got the job at Oregon, moving from Gonzaga, that's Campbell right. was his first hire, he and spent, he helped resurrect he the Duck program. Four years at Oregon State, and recruited Allie Gibson, Jamie Wisner, Devin Hunter, Ruth Hamblin, Sydney Weiss, and he started with Scott Ruick when he took the job. In year one, they were nine and twenty-one. In year four, they were twenty-four and eleven. Um, and he's the mastermind behind the recruiting. And then he moved over to the University of Oregon and they went from 13 and 17 his first year to last year when we did not have an NCAA tournament. Oregon was po poised to win the whole dang thing. And they were 31 and two with the very best player that I've ever seen come out of the conference. So um, this is a guy who can, you know, he's when it comes to recruiting, he's ABC, always be closing. And he gets those guys, he gets those kids 
almost every single one of them is coming to the U of O. And after like Oregon was nothing five years ago, all of a sudden everyone wants to come to Oregon. That's the kind of, that's the kind of energy we need on Mont Lake. Yeah. And it's not like Phil Knight's money just showed up in the Oregon athletic department. It's yeah. It's the energy. It's uh, been there for, since for 1994, me, it, right? For me in, in, in the athletic letting it be known generally that they they will not hire a man as a replacement for Jody Wynn. It's in certain criteria that don't that don't really pertain to coaching. Um, as I look at coaching hires, and this is across men's sports, it's across women's sports, it's the, the first period for me is, are you going to treat your kids well, period. Um, uh, our our uh, nowhere near dear departed uh, coach uh, did not do so um treated horribly it's it's been something that's happened in the program in the past so that's a, a clear criteria for me the second piece of it is is maximizing their college experience um you know getting them exposed to you know volunteer work international travel trips that have been a hallmark of our program um but part of that is actually winning basketball games um and then you know part of it yes is also you know winning games or maximizing the resources that you have available at the university of washington you talk about recruiting um, the academic value of a degree from the University of Washington, the monetary value of a degree from the University of Washington relative to other schools in our conference for an athlete that, you know, even if you bring a kid into the University of Washington and she's Kelsey, you know, she's the second coming and Kelsey Plum and gets to go number one overall in the WNBA draft. Uh, unfortunately, with where sports are in the current time, you know, a women's athlete is not going to be set for life based on a WNBA contract, it's not like Marco Holtz, you know, and, and I'm hopefully he recovers and, um, and, you know, we want nothing but the best for Marco, but, you know, one NBA contract, like you can kick your feet up and do nothing and be completely fine. If you're smart with your money, that's not the case for women's sports. So they're going to probably do something other than play before they retire, whether that's coaching, whether that's going into a different line of business, whether whatever the case may be. So the academic value of the degree or that the monetary value of the degree is hugely important. So that's a huge criteria, plus the fact that we've got a hotbed of recruiting. Like I said, there is no reason that a program at the University of Washington, and particularly women's basketball, should anywhere approach being outside the top quartile of the conference. And recruiting is a huge piece of that. And for us to just say, hey, we know that this person is an excellent, an excellent recruiter, and but we're not going to put a prioritization on that based well, on additional like, criteria. UW has enough going for it. Like, you know, we like have a world-class university, um, you know, a hotbed of talent with regard to recruiting built-in fan base and an amazing city that you have to really, really screw it up. Not to yeah. win at UW in pretty much every sport, but particularly with women's basketball that already has a built-in fan base. You have to really mess it up not to win or be a top four in the conference team here. And so um, to see like someone get eliminated based on that reason is extremely disappointing yeah. if it's true. We don't know if it's true, but he did apply for the second time and get eliminated. And yeah. that's disappointing. I get one, one thing I will say uh, on that topic is uh, so the, the, there are policies in like professional sports leagues where you have to, I think the, the NFL example that a lot of people talk about is you have to have um, a, a minority candidate included in your search. Um, 
so that that's something I've heard of, but I've never once heard of intentionally eliminating candidates, especially someone like uh, Campbell, who you t- talked about as maybe being the best candidate. I've never heard of someone intentionally eliminating legitimately good coaching candidates just for like the visibility of a hire. I completely, totally get that. And then also I like, I, I have a connection with a, uh, a couple of former players and that person is connected to the current team. And they said that the team resoundingly wanted Mark Campbell. That's who they were plugging for. And he was eliminated. And so not only are you eliminating someone who on paper is a really good choice, you're also not listening to your student athletes that you have on Monlink right now. And I that I just don't understand that. That makes no sense to me. And I mean, like, the players don't hire the coaches. Get it. Because if they did, then you'd be at the U of O and you'd be Mario Cristobal. But um, <laughs> at the same time, like, you, you should listen when this is probably something that we really yeah. like if you could give him another look-see. So um, it's that's done and over with. Now we have to focus on who we do have, yeah. who we are looking at. Yeah, I, I will say one 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 other thing on that note. I think it's especially important when you got it so disastrously wrong, disastrously wrong the last time. Um, I would encourage anybody that doesn't know what we're talking about in terms of the performance of Jody Wynn as the head basketball coach at the University of Washington, not just on the court, um, but off the court. If you dig a little bit, you can find what's going what's been going on behind the scenes. Um, when you've gotten it so disastrously wrong to come out of that and then completely ignore the, your your student athletes' feedback. Um, I also don't think it's, you know, in turn, I also don't think it's necessarily surprising that coming out of that, when it came out that that Campbell had been eliminated from consideration, uh, three of our best scorers from the last, from last year's team announced that they were transferring. I also would. That's a great point. um, I want to, I'll I'll point out, like, go look at Quay Miller's Instagram post about her announcing her transfer. She said, zero out. Thank you, Husky fans. It says something to me that she says, thank you, Husky fans. Not thank you, University of Washington. Not thank you, University of Washington Athletics. Certainly not thank you, Coach Wynn. She thanked the fans. Um, that's that's a leading indicator. And I, I think, and again, when you go back to, to my criteria of the experience that you're giving your student athletes and treating them well, that's the first criteria, period. Um, in terms of what we're hearing um, I think the, the the primary rumbling, and I've seen something that I've, I've seen kind of cross cross verify, or at least I've seen from multiple places, so I don't have any uh, hesitation in sharing. I think the leading candidate for the role right now is the associate head coach uh, at Stanford, whose name is Kate Pei. Uh, she has been with Stanford as an assistant coach uh, for over 13 and um, there for a, a huge run of their success, although their success has dated back to the early to mid 90s. And, and Tara has been extraordinarily successful, but she's been basically a Stanford lifer. Her whole family is um, she was yep. born at Stanford Hospital. Her brother played quarterback. Her parents her went to Stanford. Her dad played quarterback, um, too. In terms of a local, yeah, in terms of a local connection, she did play professionally with the WNBA and, and kind of on the positive sides of, of how I would look at Kate Pay's candidacy. Um, did play locally uh, or did play in the WNBA, did play locally and was a member of the Storm for a couple of years. Certainly um, from a brand perspective, I would expect that she would be um, probably able to accelerate or get recruiting back to, you know, maybe not quite to where it should be, um, but at least closer um, at a pretty 
rapid pace given her amount of experience, given the players she's coached among them, Candace Wiggins, and you know, go through the list and you know the, of guards at Stanford. Um, she's got a brand there. Um, that's kind of the pro side of it, but uh, I'll hand it off to Leah okay. for, for a more in-depth <laughs> look at Kate Vick. So, yeah, um, the perspective is that, like, you know, UW really wanted to focus on uh, West Coast people because they felt very burned by the fact that Kevin McGuff left for Ohio State, leaving us no choice to hire Mike Neighbors, who then subsequently left for the University of Arkansas. So, you know, predictably, Jen is in a kind of position where it's like, I want someone that doesn't see UW as like the stepping stone to their dream job. And Kate Pay has been at Stanford for, as Hooligan says, I think 14 or 15 years. It is widely speculated that she will be hired at Stanford when Tara Vanderveer decides to retire. She's 68 years old right now. She's been at Stanford for 35 years. Um, UW would be her warm-up act. Do we really want someone who is taking this job as practice for her dream job? Um, secondly, Stanford is, has been established as the preeminent powerhouse on the West Coast for as long as I've been watching women's basketball, and I've been watching it for 30 years. Um, what has Kate Pay done in the last 15 years that has made Stanford go to the next level? I mean, I I can't really point to anything. Um, you know, have they have they improved their recruiting? Nope, it's always top notch. Have they had an unprecedented achievements on the court? Nope, they've always been really good and continue to be very good. Um, so what's changed with Pay on staff? Or are we hoping against hope that she is a clone of Tara Vanderveer and that we're just hoping to get a, get a little bit of that Stanford juice that drips down on Montlake? And, you know, it's important to note that Stanford has a built-in recruiting advantage, especially women's basketball, because, you know, much as it pains probably all of us to admit, a piece of paper with the word Stanford University on it means a lot. And, it, you know, the piece of paper with the University of Washington seal on it means a lot to a lot of people, too. But for Stanford, it's just that cachet. And so when you walk in and you have a block S on your chest, you have, I mean, it, like, if you're going back, back to back, if you're getting someone with a, a W on their chest and an S on their chest, almost probably, I would say 90% of the time, Stanford's going to win that battle because these kids can't play professionally most of the time. And that Stanford degree means a whole heck of a lot to these kids. And so you can kind of fool yourself into being like, I, hey, I'm a hotshot recruiter. It's like, are you winning those recruiting battles or is the university that you're recruiting for winning those battles for you? And so that's kind of like the, the misnomer about perhaps recruiting at Stanford is that, yes, you're really good at recruiting, but you also have a huge recruiting advantage over pretty much else, everyone else in the Pac-12. And then, um, you know, the other thing to consider is that Kate was considered for the job in 2017 and was passed over by Jody or for Jody Wynn. And so what has changed in the last four years? Why is she a candidate? Are we just recycling our job search from 2017? Because we also uh, interviewed Mark Campbell in 2017. So what's going on with that? And they Looks showed like him the door. struggling for original ideas. That's completely absolutely probably the case. And so like, if we're going to be considering Kate Pay, why aren't we looking at Molly Miller, who is a hotshot coach over at Grand Canyon, having come off of a division two amazing career over there. We're not even giving her a look. I haven't even seen that they've in even interviewed her. And she has, she has somebody with actual head coaching experience, unlike either one of the two of them. And bonus for the UW, she happens to be female. 
So I don't understand why they didn't give her a look-see. And then lastly, and this is, I understand, like a little bit of pettiness on my part. I happened to watch Kate Pei as a player. She was a walk-on and she ended up being a pretty famous uh, defensive player. And she happened to, right in front of my face, use the back part of her elbow to break one of our players' noses. And our player was called for the block for the crime of being in the way of her elbow. And so Husky fans remember her as a very dirty Stanford player. And wait, wait, wait. it's not just ASU players that play dirty. Right? Well, you know, you know, Charlie went to Stanford Hooligan. Where do you think she learned uh, it? I, I, I forgot. Yes. So, I mean, those are my reasons not to, I think it would be a pretty unpopular hire, but I also understand that she probably has a lot of experience under Tara to understand like how to how to build like Tara has built things. I also just think that it's a little bit of Stanford Stanford nepotism that would be bleeding over onto Montlake. So uh, I think part of what I have and I don't have the background I I my entree into to being a fan of our women's basketball programs in the early 2000s uh, so I didn't necessarily have that that perspective on pay as a player um but I, I certainly you know with going back and looking at history you know it it's something that we i think we did in the mid to late 2000s when our football program was struggling and and like okay how do we generate some buzz and some juice it's like okay let's let's you know shake up the uniforms let's let's you know, bring some you know some swag or or so it was in what i've started calling an organization of our program um, and my way forward, I think, with the University of Washington and kind of what I would hope to get us back to the women's basketball program, but just in, in, the, in the department in general, is that we really separate what we are, what we're built on, and who we are, not try and be someone else. Like, I don't want to be Stanford. Um, you know, they, they, you know, other than some of the cheap shots, and Kate Pay is by no means the only Stanford player to to get away with it. Um, I certainly have the number of times that I saw Jane Appel swing an elbow in the post and, you know, basically clobber I, the amount of concussions that probably could have gotten um, caused by that. I lovingly I have, my dad and I, I have lovingly nicknamed a moving screen, a Stanford screen. That's what we call it. Moving screens are just called Stanford screens. Because they, yeah, they do it all the time. It's like it's part of their offense. Lineman at Stanford, like they, they start firing off the ball a half a second before the, the ball snapped <laughs> like um but i don't want us to be another and i don't i don't necessarily love the aspect of um as leah you know was saying like kate pay would be you know like yes it would be great if she if she comes here and she's successful great because that will probably put us in a better footing to winter if she's successful here that means that she's still going to be a contender when Tara retires and she'll probably get Stanford's job when Tara retires. And at least we would be coming off of hopefully 20 plus win seasons and be, it's not a complete rebuild as is the case to, you know, thanks to Jody. Um, but still, I don't think aspirationally that's what we should aspire to is to have somebody that's particularly coming out of, if, if we've been burned by McGuff being here for two years and neighbors being here for four we shouldn't settle for saying, okay, yeah, that's fine. Let's just have somebody for three years or for as long as, as Tara's still coaching. And then think that, you know what, because we'll, 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 it's not realistic. 
you know, we've lost a grasp on reality if we think that, that Cape Pay is going to stay in that situation. It would be like expecting Adia Barnes to have stayed around to take over for neighbors when, when Arizona came open. That's just like, that's just not going to happen. Um, for me, it's more like in regards to kind of who the hire is. It's like somebody I would aspire that not only gets us back to, you know, as a first step, we need to get back to being competitive and at least being not a laughing stock, not getting when we play. Um, but to, to, I, I don't just aspire for us to get to, to the middle of the conference. I want us to find the hire that, that gets us to the middle of the conference and then takes the steps to get us to the top. Yeah, and with that being said, I just want to point out the last time UW basketball team hired a longtime assistant uh, who was supposed to be the heir to the head coach at that university. Uh, it, it didn't go so well. Um, what's, what's that it, person's name, DP? Uh, something pop popcorn, pop, Mike Hopkins. That's Poppy? it. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. He he's not doing so hot. Um, he was supposed to be uh, Jim Bayheim's heir at Syracuse. And so we hired him to be Syracuse to the West, and he did great for two years with Romar's players, and oh, now we suck. So, I mean, we can feel free to repeat that experiment, and we know exactly how it goes, but I, I really don't see why you would make that exact same mistake. Right. It, it says to that's me a, that, 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 our, that our athletic department leadership hasn't learned a goddamn fucking thing. So maybe like, you know, I've gone two for two on the people that I've wanted fired this year. I've, Larry Scott was number one and then Jody Wynn. Maybe the third one should be Jen. Goals, right? Yeah, it's like, the, you know, and, and, and I pointed this out somewhere like Jen's made some good hires, like the track coaches. That was a big deal. She's hired a very successful women's crew coach. And I want those programs to be successful. I want every program at the University of Washington yeah. to be successful. But the engine is driven, and we talked about this a lot on the previous episode, talking about hoops. It's like you have to capitalize on the sports that not only can be, you know, revenue as close to revenue neutral as possible, but potentially be revenue positive. This is a like women's basketball is something that should be an absolute strength program for this university. It should be what softball is. And like I said, like for me, like accepting a coach that's just like, okay, or a rental in this program, it that's just not good enough to, to me. Like from a recruiting standpoint, we've talked about it in the football recruiting pod. Like if Heather Tarr can pull kids to play a sport outside, you know, where a season starts in February out of Georgia, there is no reason that for hoops, we can't pull two or three kids a year from in-state and supplement elsewhere and be excellent. Like, fuck the fuck off I mean, if you accept mediocrity at this university. I'm sorry, but one of the one of the things also you probably caught this week was that um, Chris Egan, who uh, is a King Five reporter, talked about how all of the all of the kids who are playing in the Final Four right now or the Elite Eight at the time who were from the state of Washington, like the whole twins, Anna Wilson, Russell Wilson's little sister. Um, you know, Haley Van Lith um, and a couple of other like small contributors. And he and Brock retweeted it and said, like, imagine if all of these kids came to play at Washington, how good would we be? We could be here right now. And his wife is Molly Hills Heward, who played at UW women's basketball. So, yeah, I mean, like when we're getting the attention of one of our most famous sports alumni, it matters. This program can make money and not have to dip into football. And it, the only way for it to make money 
is if we're good because that's put butts in seats. And right now, people aren't inspired to do that, first of all, because we can't. And second of all, because they're not winning games. They're losing at a ridiculously high rate. So, And the only way for us to start winning games is to start getting a, get a coach in there who not only wants to be in Seattle, treats their kids well, and knows what UW has to offer and that you can win here very fast. But you're going to have to get the recruits in there to do it. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, you know, it's, you know, in football, we talk about it. It's, you could be great at the X and O's, but it, it all comes to ultimately down to the Jimmy's and Joe's that it, my clumsy dad joke about it is in, in women's basketball, it comes down to the Jenny's and Joe's without an E at the end. Like it's the same thing. It's get the kids and you can be a great X's and O's coach, but if it's a heavier lift to do it, if you don't have talent in play, if the, top tier talent in place than it is to take top tier talent and even be somewhat. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's well established. Lorenzo Romer was not a great X's and O's head men's basketball coach, but he was extraordinarily successful for a while when his staff was supplemented by somebody that could do the X's and O's and he had the right talent in place. Granted, it fell off at the end, but you're going to, the route to success is better there than it is to try and say, we're going to be smarter than, or, you know, we're going to outsmart everybody. Shout out, Coach. And, yeah, and, and in basketball, as opposed to a sport like football, which is very X's and O's based, basketball, one single player can make a massive impact. And I, I said this on the Men's Hoops podcast, but one superstar is a much bigger difference in basketball than it is in most other sports because, you know, like, a, a point guard can take the ball up the floor every possession for 40 minutes a game. And they're controlling every single possession. They can make that huge impact. And defensively, if you have like that one big defensive anchor, it can be a total transformation in your team's defense. If you look at the the best NBA defenses, they all have elite big men playing on the inside. If you look at the best offenses, their teams who all have elite ball handlers like Chris Paul or LeBron James, you can go out and make plays every night. And that holds true in college basketball as well. And it's why recruiting at that level is so important. Yep. I'll, I'll- you, you can look at one class of women's basketball. Where would the Washington women's basketball program be right now if we'd signed Haley Van Lith, Delia Daniels, Daniels, and Jordan Jenkins Jordan in the Jenkins. same class? They were all in the same class. Haley Van Lith from Cash, from I think Cashmere. Yep. Delia Daniels from Garfield. Uh, again, remind me, do we have any history of Garfield players in basketball on both sides at the women at at UW? Is there any history of a tie between those two programs? And then Jordan Jenkins, whose best friend was on the team. And she said to your last your last pod said that growing up, she always dreamed of being at UW, husky. being a Husky. And she she did have UW on her on a has a hat on her table, but she ended up choosing SC. Um, so, so and they're so amazing. And then Delia Daniels ended up choosing Cal, who was who won one game this year. Um, and it speaks to like there was you know there's just stuff going on at Mont Lake that we will that we'll never know about. But um, yeah, Jody, just... I've heard rumblings of donor pressure, and I, again, I think it's donor pressure that. But but my my counter to the donor pressure of, of that you know, and that there are donors that are specifying the gender of the hire. Oh uh, yes. Um. I, I think from a from an athletic leadership standpoint, I think you can counter that and say, you know what, I'm going to hire out. I'm going to go out and hire the best coach possible that's going to win us basketball games. And winning basketball games, you're going to replace those donors by people that actually show up 
and or and not alienate existing people that have cared about the program for in my case 15 20 years yeah. in leah's case 33 30 yeah, years <laughs> win games treat the kids well yeah. the fans I mean, will show up it just like it shouldn't matter to me it doesn't matter like your gender you know anything i just i just want to win i just want to compete and if you can get the job done you're hired if you can continue to th make the trajectory go up and up you're going you stay you get contract extensions it's just that simple and it shouldn't you shouldn't be weeding out half of the candidate pool based purely on gender when we have a we had a great one and that that he just got eliminated for kind of silly reasons Especially considering your job as an AD when it comes to making a hire is to look at all the available candidates and make the best possible hire, cutting out half of them for a specific criterion that really doesn't impact how effective someone can be as a basketball coach is nonsensical. Right. I mean, and, and the other part of it that, that just, I mean, it's, it's, we've hired men in other programs, in, in other women's okay. programs. Our volleyball are, coach is a man. Yeah, it, it's it's just not an important criteria. It, it's not a decision making criteria. It's just not. It's hire the best coach possible. Um, I, I'm, you know, to to, you know, to, to bring up one of the coaches that that Leah mentioned. I'm very disappointed that we haven't talked to Molly Miller because she's a rising star in the, you know, like her career. If you look at her trajectory, it's a freaking rocket. And I'm like, okay, go hire that coach. Like she went right. 26 and 0 in her last year at her at her alma mater took the GCU job and picked up three wins and they went 18 and 13 and just fell short of making the tournament this year, losing in the conference championship game. That's, and again, if you're with one of your criteria and maybe it's a, a criteria that eliminated Mark Campbell as head coaching experience, it's right there. Um, yeah, I, I, the search has been continuing to, to be frustrating. We do want to flip one, additional name where if we talk about longevity and potential stability in um with somebody that would like be unlikely to leave um you know we, we certainly have some preference either in the staff or whether it's the the head coach or an assistant coach to have a, you know a, an alum on the staff um there is a head coach that played at the university of washington that is down at uh, northern arizona university lori Payne was part of our elite eight team in 2001 dp this was before your time i'm not sure when in 2001 you you joined <laughs> us but uh, uh she's been down at nau she's had um she's been somewhat successful there they were um in in a world of her prior to her arrival um, started picking up. I think they'd won seven games the year before she'd arrived. She won nine games her first year, and she's won, I think, the second year, won 13, third year, won 16, fourth year, won 15. So she's been about 500 um, since she's really gotten her foot in the door. She did have a run of really good success at UPS. Um, uh, won, went 26 and three her last year at UPS after being an assistant to Tia Jackson. Uh, in terms of stability, um, I, I think that that's somebody that, you know, they could be looking at um, as, as a potential choice. She does have head coaching experience. She would be probably, I, I would certainly anticipate she would be very unlikely to leave for something that she'd see as a better job because th there's such a loyalty to alma maters. Let's look at Adia Barnes. Um, and I'm not saying Lori is, is, is Adia, um, but 
there's some your alma mater means something and when your alma mater is a d1 program in a great city like seattle she'd be very unlikely to leave um she does have experience building in in two instances where both programs that she's been in charge of were not very good when she showed up uh at ups it she they got to be very good at nau um the kind of the downside to me about you know looking at Lori as a candidate is that I would have hoped that it wouldn't have been just a, a seven to nine to you know a, a seven wins to nine wins to to thirteen to sixteen to fifteen wins it would have been seven nine sixteen twenty twenty yeah like and even in a COVID year like there are programs that did that like you know we talked about Molly Miller won twenty six games her first year she went thirteen wins she fell just shy of, of the NCAA tournament and won eighteen games mm -hmm. this year. It's that trajectory that that's encouraged, you know, yeah. and it, and again, it's, you know, and that's at Northern Arizona recruiting in the Pac-10 or excuse me, I'm dating myself. What are you, CBS calling us the Pac-10? Eh, Colorado and Utah really don't count. Um, Cougs don't count. Or yeah, that too. Well, the, the, the conference reorganization is going to come someday and we're probably going to lose our, our, our little brother. Um, but uh it's it's a, recruiting at this level is a different tier and, and being able to have that you know that pitch like I, I can get you into the NCAA tournament I can get you to the WNBA yeah. Lori doesn't have that on her resume does that mean that she's that if she were to be hired that she's automatically going to fail of course not she could end up being very successful and bottom line for me I want whoever comes into this job whoever it is, whether it's Kate Pay, whether it is Lori Payne, whether it is a candidate we aren't even thinking about, I want them to be extraordinarily successful because that's good for the university. Uh, if they're extraordinarily successful, I, I, it's an indication that they're probably treating their kids pretty well. Um, and again, that's my first criteria. And then kind of let the chips fall where they may, but it's that win. Mm -hmm. I want them to be successful. Absolutely. In the case of Lori, we all do. I, I hope Lori, it happens. Lori is an interesting candidate because we're both hooligan. I actually remember all, if not, or most of her playing career. And, uh, you know, Lori and I are pretty much the exact same age, which is kind of spooky. Um, and I remember her playing pretty much every single game. And I remember her as a player. Uh, as being someone who we talked about kind of before a little bit uh, as having kind of the Jake Brown, Jake Browning syndrome of when shots aren't falling, then the defense stops, starts to drop off and we start to see the body language change. And um, she wasn't someone that had a lot of grit or mental toughness as a player. Um, I also, you know, she, she coached for uh, one of our worst coaches, probably before the Jody Wynn era and the next worst coach would have been Tia Jackson. She was on staff for that. And maybe, you know, the, the positive is like, that's how she learns to never to treat kids and how never to run a program. I don't know, but that just gives me a lot of pause if you were on that staff. Um, but then she does have some really good head coaching experience at the lower levels at the D2 or D3. I can't I remember what feel D3. you. D3. D3. Okay. So UPS, she really brought that squad up and you know again like hooligan said i'm not super impressed with what she's done at nau i would have expected and hoped for a little bit more of a trajectory and i look at her record at niu and i say like okay as a 
500 record at NAU enough to get you a power five job at the University of Washington? Is power five really? job, but at, at what should I mean, be a top She's an alum, so I like that. And whoever is hired, whoever that person is, I'll get on board and I'll be vocal support of that person because ultimately their success is our success and we should all want that. So. And I will say to her credit, I, I took the time when, when it kind of started to float to my radar that, that she could be in consideration. Um, it turns out she did a, an appearance with Jenna Moser and Michelle Augustavo on uh, Dog Talk uh, UW, uh, which is something that the UW Athletics Department puts out on, on YouTube. Um, and on multiple occasions in that interview, she did describe herself as a player's coach. There was a specific example on a, on a conditioning day where she was the one that let the kids off the hook. And even her, her assistant coaches were like, oh, come on, Coach Payne. Um, she, but she was like, no, you know what, you know, um, you know, hit some free throws and get out of here. Um, that's an encouraging sign based on what I know of the Tia Jackson era, um, where she, Tia had run the kids so hard that we ended up losing to 60 by Stanford and injured a, a lifelong soccer player because she just ran them in practice. Um, and I think some of the, the offense or, you know, that um, we, we complained about it at the time was the um, her offensive system was to have the, the best player dribble the basketball and create something um, kind of overused the, the talent that she had uh, or the, you know, the, the top end talent. Um, and so I, I take that as, as a, as an encouraging sign that Lori learned from that experience, I would hope. Um, and I, I definitely think that that's something that we need, obviously, again, running, reading through the tea leaves and, and what's been kind of floating out in the ethos about Jody. I think it's encouraging that we, we absolutely need somebody that is a player's coach and is going to treat the, the women on this team extraordinarily well. And, and, and on, in all honesty, follow the Heather Tarr model of not only, you know, an extraordinary developer of talent and coaching, but really cares uh, about the kids and is um, making sure that they're, you know, it's the the thing that, that, that Coach Pete definitely got right and Coach Lake gets right. It's the built for life and it's not just about sports, but maximize their ability and, and what they can do with sports, um, but also maximize their potential to do whatever else they choose to do in life um, and not be a detriment <laughs> to their life. As has been the case with uh, Wynn and Tia. Yep. For sure. I think that's a, a Leah, you have anything else that you want to say on the search or? Um, just wrapping it up, you know, I, I was really fired up when the search started because I thought we had some really cool candidates that Hooligan, you and I talked about extensively and um, to kind of land where I think we are going to land. I'm disappointed. I think it's just a repeat. It's a recycling of that 2017 hiring process, which is deeply disappointing and suggests, I think we have some sickness in the athletic department, but at the same time, whoever's hired is going to get my full support. Um, and we just want that. We, we want what's best for these kids. They deserve it. They deserve someone who's going to support them as people, as human beings first. And anyone who does us the honor of putting on the purple and gold and playing for the University of Washington deserves the best experience while they're here. And I regret to say that they haven't had that for the last four years. And so whoever takes this job, that's their first job, to make sure that these kids get a world-class degree, 
have fun doing it, and win some basketball games, you know, improve their game, and hopefully go on to the next level as really good players and better people. That's what all, we all want. So, yeah. All right. I, I think that definitely wraps it up. Thanks for listening to our, okay. uh, thanks. our second episode of the weekend. Um, <laughs> thanks, everybody, and go dogs. Oh, oh.